Thanks for joining us in worship. We're so glad for our worship team and how they lead us to God and turn our hearts upward uh, before we hear what God has to say about our lives. Uh, just, to, just to mention, a couple weeks ago we had the baptismal service. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Wasn't it great to actually be together, even if it's in the parking lot, and even if it's you know, under less than ideal circumstances? So that was fantastic. So next week, for the very first time in 18 months, we're planning on gathering here in the auditorium. And if you're not necessarily comfortable with that yet, we're going to be doing our online service as usual, uh, and hope that you'll be there for that. But this is going to be an exciting time together, and uh, you will be getting some information on how we're going to make sure uh, that we protect your safety and, uh, and just do it cautiously so that no one feels uncomfortable. We've been talking about forgiveness, and today is the last installment on forgiveness, and uh, so I'm going to kind of do a review on that. Um, first of all, you have to decide to forgive. You have to decide to forgive. And the reason that you do it is because unforgiveness, any fractured relationship in your life, leads to unhappiness. So, you know, happiness is basically being at peace with God, being at peace with others, and being at peace with yourself. Unforgiveness disrupts that, and it creates incredible unhappiness and pain in our lives. We have to forgive because we always have a reaction to hurt, real hurt. This is like, you know, you've really gotten wounded deeply. This isn't just, you know, it's not about a, an institution because you can't forgive institutions. Uh, it's about an individual who intentionally hurts you and hurts you deeply. It's not just a brush burn. And what happens when we experience that is that pain causes us to play it and then pause it and then rewind it and pause it and then play it again and pause it and rewind it, pause, and that just keeps going on and on. It's called ruminating, which is what, you know, cows do when they're digesting their food. So you have three different options. One of them is revenge, you know, door number one, revenge. You, I don't, you know, get mad, I get even. We can repress it. In other words, we can just stuff all this junk, all this anger and hurt down inside. And the problem is that it eventually comes out in some way. It's not going to stay down there. And then the fourth option, and this is what God suggests, forgive. Forgive. What does forgiveness involve? Well, forgiveness means that I restore, I decide to restore the person's humanity. I'm not going to limit them to what they did to me, whether it's a lie or whatever it is that they did. I give up my right to get even with them, and then I revise my feelings toward them. Now, here's the thing. This is kind of at the basis in terms of, you know, all of our relational world. No relationship can survive a buildup of anger. Uh, it can't survive it in a home. It can't survive it in a business. Can't, no relationship can survive a buildup of anger without communication. And that's why if you're angry or frustrated with God or with somebody else or even with yourself, you've got to communicate. You've got to bring that out. Now, I'm going to illustrate uh, this whole thing of forgiveness in a way that you may not like, but I'm going to do it anyways. Back in August of 1989, uh, I was taking a class out in California, and so after the class, I'm sitting up in my room and watching TV, watching the news, actually, and it's this whole thing, this buildup of tension between Saddam Hussein and the United States and what was going on there, and so on. So anyways, they, you know, as part of the news, they interrupt with this, well, they didn't interrupt it, but it was just part of a whole broadcast. They interrupt it with these 
guys, these, you know, uh, basically, you know, pest control guys hauling this massive python out from underneath a house down in Florida, of course, where all these things are breeding down there. Now, I thought to myself, maybe I wasn't remembering right, but it seemed huge, okay? So I Googled the story, and sure enough, it was there. A retired couple from uh, Fort Lauderdale, you know, uh, was living down there, had this little bungalow and so on, they're happy and everything. So the guy hears this noise out back. He comes out and looks, and there's this massive python eating a raccoon. Freaked him out, okay? So they called the specialist. They saw this thing go slithering down under the house. So this has to be the ultimate surprise, you know? You retire in Florida, okay? And this is what they didn't know about, okay? This snake down in the basement. So they, you know, basically had to call in all these people. And sure enough, this thing was 21 feet long, weighed 250 pounds, this massive snake in the basement. Now here's my point, and I do have one, okay? Nursing a grudge, nursing a grudge, living in unforgiveness, leaving anger and bitterness in your heart unresolved, I'm telling you, it's like having a snake in your basement. It really is. Now, I just grossed some of you out, you know, and so on, and if I have, good. You ought to be grossed out (laughs) because that's what happens down inside when you let this stuff stay there and rot. Now, again, we've been talking about this, and I'm guessing that some of you are kind of agnostic about it. Well, maybe I can, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Maybe it's a grudge, maybe it's not, maybe, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, you just, you're agnostic about it. I'm just telling you, you need to deal with it. You need to deal with it because what happens down in your basement is it kind of becomes the devil's, you know, campground. You remember this, these verse in, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the snake, the old serpent, the devil, Satan and how he now, you know, works on this planet. And this isn't, you know, this snake in the basement, it's not like the over-the-hedge, you know, thing, you know, where the raccoons are out there eating your garbage. You have to learn to forgive and get the snake out of your basement because forgiveness is the key that unlocks the prison door. You're holding somebody hostage in your mind, and you have to feed them and take care of them, and you release the prisoner to God. You know, forgiveness... It's like anti-venom. It doesn't keep you from getting bit. It keeps you from dying when you get bitten by a venomous snake. Forgiveness is, you know, kind of like you get cut. It doesn't stop the hurt, but it stitches it up so you don't get gangrene and lose a leg or lose an arm. Jesus was very clear. He said, if you will not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Because forgiveness is the trademark of people who follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, forgiveness is the best, healthiest, most life-giving decision that you'll never make. But I'm telling you, you will never drift into it. This is like calling 911. This is like EMT stuff. This is, this is not for brush burns, not for, you know, a little slight. Somebody looked at you wrong and stuff like that. So I just, I just want to encourage you to just like to not just put this off to the side and say, you know, I'm going to think about it maybe someday. You have got You've got to deal with this stuff in your life. Now, one of the things that I have noticed in terms of uh, forgiveness, and and I just want to talk about this briefly because it's just part of the whole thing. I'll tell you where people get, you know, really messed up on this whole idea. Because forgiveness is something that you do. You do it in your heart. You do it for your own health, okay? You don't necessarily even tell anybody about it, but you do it so that you are not chained to the pain that you're in. 
people mess this up with reconciliation. And what they think is, well, if I forgive, that means that, you know, we're going to be friends, I'm going to be friends again with the person who hurt me most. No. Sometimes when you forgive, you, you know, you have to forgive a toxic person, and your best response to them is, I forgive you, but I don't want to have lunch with you. So it's very different. Sometimes people get it messed up, get it mixed up with restoration. Restoration means, well, if I forgive them, then I have to take them back, you know, in and hire them again or bring them back into my home or back into my bed or whatever. Restoration is like a, this is like a big deal. This rarely happens because trust has been broken. Forgiveness takes one, reconciliation takes two, and restoration, if it's going to happen, takes a lot of change and a lot of, it takes a lot of time for the trust to be rebuilt. Forgiveness is not tolerating somebody's abuse. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened or preparing or pretending that it's not that bad. You know, just, ah, you know, it's just them being them or whatever. It's not ignoring justice. Forgiveness is powerful medicine, and it helps to heal us. Now, before I talk about the devil's campground, I want to talk about something else, and you may not like this either, you know. I talked about this once before years ago, and, and you know, somebody, people get angry and leave the church and stuff like that, okay. So here's something that is really important. You have to own your stuff. Now, there are some times in life, and I realize this, where you're pure victim. Some of you are pure victims. You're just the victim of somebody else's lust, or you're the victim of somebody else's rage, or their racism, or their meanness, and so on. And, you know, to put it like this, you were kind of like a bystander where somebody, drunk driver came along, ran the curb, ran you over, and you're pure victim, okay? But most forgiveness needs to happen in terms of a relationship, and many times in that relationship, it takes more than one to create a problem. So I just want you to imagine that there's a circle of blame, okay? And what I would like you to do if you, you know, after maybe after this message, is take this circle. If you're looking at forgiving and looking at trying to move on and so on, and, and take a look at that, draw the circle, and Right in there, the percentage of that circle, that, that pie, that you think maybe you would be responsible for. Now, you know, it's not likely going to be 50% that, you know, or anything like that. But let's say the other person is responsible for 98%, but you have to own the 2%. And it may be that, maybe smaller, maybe bigger. Because if you don't move it, if you don't own that, what will happen is you will then take that part of it, and you will move on into another relationship, and you will drag that part with you. You will smuggle that uh, part with you, and then you will recreate the painful scenario, likely, that you had before. So you have to own it if you want to move on. If you want to, the future to be better than the past, you have to own it, okay? Now, this can be hard on your pride. Because, you see, our thing is we would like to blame it all. And so it was all their fault. And if he hadn't, if she hadn't, you know, they're an evil person, wrong person, and so on. So owning it, uh, owning your part of it is very important, okay? It's not, you know, having the right boss or the right friends or the right siblings or whatever. Now, if you want to start over with better results, you need to get rid of the snake that's living under your house. Okay, that makes sense? Because that's what forgiveness is really all about. You know, as I mentioned, to refuse to own your part of a relational breakdown is to smuggle your stuff into the next relationship. To refuse to forgive, you see, allows the person who hurt you to smuggle their pain 
into the future of your life, and you don't want that to happen. And there's a rude, difficult question that I'm going to ask you, and it's based on the passage we're going to be looking at today, but I'm just going to ask you it like this. If you are thinking, you know, you're struggling to forgive, and you're, not, you're thinking maybe you're not going to, then how far into the future do you plan to carry the angst and the hurt and the anxiety and the fear and the mistrust that you're carrying? Like, how far is it going to go? Is it going to be a year? Is it going to be two years? Is it going to be five years? Is it going to be 50 years? Like, how long are you going to carry it? Discovery Channel recently aired a story on Shark Week. I don't know if you like Shark Week, but I watch it occasionally. So anyways, there's this girl, 17-year-old girl off the coast of, uh, of North Carolina who gets attacked by a shark while she's swimming. The water's like waist deep, so she's not out in the deep swimming on a, some kind of a paddleboard or anything like that. So this thing attacked her, okay? She lost her leg to this shark. She lost two of her fingers, and she lost, you know, uh, had nerve damage happen in both of her hands. Now that happens, you know, I know, happens more now than it's been happening before. But what caught me was her spunk and her attitude. And she said something like this, you know, a typical 17-year-old way, you know, chewing her gum and stuff like this, you know. I can't blame the shark for that, you know. I forgive the shark because the shark was just doing what sharks do, and I was in its territory, okay. I'm sure she didn't, you know, think about that all the time. But to her credit, she actually traveled with a biologist to go out and help tag sharks so that she could get over her fear. She's moving on. And what she would say is, my pain will remind me, but it won't define me. In other words, I've fed enough of my life to the shark. I've fed enough of my time to the shark. I've suffered enough pain because of the shark. I'm not going to feed it anymore. And that's where we need to be. My past will remind me. You can't forget the past. You don't necessarily want to forget the past. Pain reminds us, but it won't define me. It won't define who I become. And that's the decision that you have to make. And you will meet this, like if you meet an amazing person and you hear their story and find out, you know, like this girl, that she lost her leg and and two of her fingers and so on, had all this damage, disrupted her life in major ways, and you talk to her and she's got a good attitude, something happened there. And for people to actually move on into a better future, there comes a point where they say, I decided, I decided, I chose that I was not going to let this thing hold me back and trample me down. And Paul writes brilliantly about how to do uh, that with this stuff. Even if you don't believe in Jesus or believe in the truth of what the Bible has to say, I'm telling you, this fits your life. Listen to what he says. In your anger, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, you may have heard that it's always sinful to get angry, and good people, Christian people, don't get angry. Well, I'm sorry to say, Jesus got angry. (laughs) He got angry at death. He got angry at the Pharisees and so on of his day, and he was perfect. That's why Paul can say here, be angry. Like, there are times when you ought to be angry, but don't sin. So let's just spend some time talking about that. Most of you know what anger is. Anger is kind of like the idiot light on your dashboard that tells you that something's wrong. That if you keep on driving your car and the engine light's on, the oil light's on, you know, you're going to throw a rod through the side of the engine. 
Anger is kind of a short-term emotion. It's kind of like a powder charge. And it's intended to prompt you to take, ang- uh, take action. And you, you know this, fight or flight, okay? You've heard this. You do something to get away from the pain that somebody is inflicting or somebody wants to inflict. Or you do something to put a barrier between you and that pain. Anger, by definition, by the way it's created and what it does, it has a short shelf life. It has a short shelf life. At least it's supposed to. And if you import it down into your soul, down into your basement, this thing will grow into a 21-foot python. Now, what this ultimately means is, the, is the, uh, in this command, be angry but don't sin. It means we have a choice. We have a choice in what we're going to do it, like, do it like that. Paul puts the principle like this. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And that's a good rule of thumb. So let me just put it up here. I think, this is, I think that's the next one on here. Uh, maybe not. Okay, so we'll just wait. You'll see that a little bit later. So don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Good rule of thumb when it comes to, you know, husband-wife relationships, parent-child relationships, friend relationships. But there are some hurts that go so deep that it takes longer to be able to get through them. What happens down inside is that bitterness tends to build a root system. And uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, 15, talks about this. It talks about this bitter root growing up and destroying you and destroying other people. Um, as you know, I've been talking about this. We've been doing some tree trimming and some things like that in, uh, in some of the woods that's near, near our house. So anyways, we've got these things growing up, and they're growing up in our yard and growing up in, at the edge of the woods and stuff like this. I was trying to figure out what they are because I tried pulling on them, and they wouldn't come up. What I realized, okay, this is a poplar tree, and it sends out these roots, and wherever these roots grow, it sends up little seedlings, okay, so it will grow a whole forest if you let the thing go or grow a bunch of junk that you don't want. And that's what resentment is like. The resentment tree grows in your life, and if you let this thing grow, you know, it's not going to start there. There will be this bitter root system, other stuff is going to grow, and it's going to create problems. That's what anger does. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago when it comes to resolving broken relationships. Jesus said that when someone sins against you, don't let it go down and you develop this whole, you know, root system of, you know, junk, and they did this, and, and then they're looking at me this way, and he says, you go to them. You take the initiative, you go to them, and you talk to them about it. Because if you don't, it's going to create a problem. Now, you might be saying things like, you know, you know, well, you know, it says don't let the sun go down in your air. I don't think I can resolve things before I go to bed, and I get that. Sometimes we need to assess the damage. So let me put it this way. How many sunsets are you going to go through angry? How many sunsets? Sunsets are beautiful. Okay? We love sunsets. But how many? You know, is it going to take five? Is it going to take 30? Is it going to take 300? Three th- like how many, how many sunsets are going to go, how, how many times is the sun going to go down with you still angry, with you still holding this thing down there? And then Paul brilliantly tells us what goes on inside, and this gets back to the snake when we have bitterness and unforgiveness that's sloshing around in our hearts. His command, do not sin, don't let the sun go down, it's completed in the final phrase here of this verse. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, the implications of that verse are massive, okay? 
Let's talk about the word foothold. You know, I always thought about this in terms of mountain climbers, you know, and how when they're climbing up this steep cliff, you know, you can see their, their feet, you know, and they're kind of searching around on the edge there to find something to stick their toe into so that they can keep climbing the cliff. And, and it does actually mean that too. The word is topos. And it basically is talking about, you know, kind of a staging ground, something that can help you to move forward and move up and so on. And this, this has some military overtones back in that culture. And it's basically where the enemy's going to camp and they're going to, you know, set up their tents and everything and feed their horses and everything, polish up their weapons, and they're going to use that as kind of a staging ground to be able to move forward, move equipment in, and take over a city or take over a nation. Uh, one of the best illustrations of that is D-Day. That was what was going on, you know, when a million troops landed on Normandy, was that they wanted to basically establish a foothold, a beachhead, so that they could go on and free people from the concentration camps and stop the whole Nazi regime. That was what, that was what happened on D-Day. And that's what Satan wants to do in our lives. That's what he wants to do in my life. When you stay angry, when you refuse to forgive, when you refuse to let it go, it says here that the devil is able to set up his campground, bring in his troops, bring in all the other junk that he's going to bring, and he's going to stay there until you decide to forgive. And you're able to grind that foothold out of the side of the mountain. Here's the deal. You and I have the authority of God. We have the grace and power of Jesus. We have the influence of the Holy Spirit to actually do that. But you have to act on it. You have to act on it. And the longer you wait, the more entrenched the enemy is going to get. Now, the word used for the devil here is diabolos and so on. And it's basically, it could, it could actually refer to the person who hurts you. So if you want to look at it that way, you can let the person who hurts you camp there because you can never forget them. And they continue to inflict pain. You're renting them space, you know. And here's the deal, okay, when you've got Satan who has a foothold in your life, you know, he's not going to respond if you send him a little nice note with flowers on it and poetry on it, you know, asking him nicely to leave. That's not the way he goes. Jesus' words under these circumstances were, get out, get out, you're not going to be here any longer. Now, there's a time to be angry. There's a time to be angry. And there's a time when you have to decide that you're going to get rid of your grudge, that you're going to get rid of it. See, he's been talking about, you know, uh, what it means to kind of cut off the roots of this, you know, cut off the root of bitterness and so on and get the snake out of the basement and everything like that. And the reason he's talking about that, what Paul's talking about that, is because of the unity of the Spirit, the oneness of people who belong to Jesus is so critical. It's so important. It's, imp it's vital to our mission. And you can't have that oneness when there's bitterness in there. And he goes on. He talks about, this is how he wraps things up after, you know, his comment about the foothold or the staging ground. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Wow, can you imagine, you know, talking to other people like that all the time? That it may benefit those who listen. Wow, <laughs> that's huge. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is, really gets into the nitty-gritty. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's what anger and bitterness does. It's what unforgiveness does. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, 
rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's powerful stuff. Now, this impacts the language we use. Anybody besides me know, notice that we kind of live in the, in the culture, you know, of the F-bomb? And people say, well, you know, it's just a word. Well, you know, I mean, so are wedding vows, you know. So are the promises that we make and so on. I mean, so are prayers. They're just words too. When stuff has been lit on fire by contempt, which is, you know, what some of this language is, I mean, this stuff gets into people's hearts. You can't throw this kind of contemptuous language at somebody and just expect that things are going to go away. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. It says, Proverbs says, if you want to turn away anger, he says, you know, you need to, like, cut it off. You need to give a gentle answer to that kind of stuff. So this stuff stays in people's hearts, and you need to remember that. If you're going to shoot a language arrow, arrow, arrow into somebody, whether it's through a text or whether it's through its email or through you actually say it or whatever it happens to be, you've got to remember that if it sticks in them, it's going to stay there and it's going to do damage. Now, why should we get rid of all this stuff, okay? Well, here's a take-home thought. Anger and all the, you know, along with hurting our health, along with hurting our relationships, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can look at him, you know, he said, I don't want to live with a snake in your basement. I don't want to live with all the sludge that you're carrying on there. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to live. He's the one that gives us the power to love. He's the one that gives us the power to make a difference with our lives. Jesus said that the whole point of life is to love, is to love God with all we are and to love others as we love ourselves. And so dealing with this stuff is an expression of love and respect for God. Paul goes on to say in his letter to the Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, when the Spirit of God does not get grieved away from our hearts, okay, the clearest result of him taking up residence in our lives is relational intelligence, which actually prevents some of the stuff from going on. And so what you have to ask is, what is your relational IQ? I mean, people get very proud of, you know, their, their grades and, you know, I've got an IQ of 160 and, and just all this stuff and, you know, I'm, I'm going on for med school and I'm doing all this stuff and I'm getting all these grades. Well, what's your relational IQ? Because that's what's going to determine what happens in your life. What is your love quotient? What is your joy quotient? How about peace? And peacemaking. What about patience? Sorry, I misspelled that. It should be I in there. Patience. What about kindness? You notice the language around kindness, you know, in our world, you know, be safe, be kind. You know why? It's because unkindness is so incredibly ugly and rude. Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the things, those, that's relational intelligence, and that's what God wants to build in your lives, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what he can't do, okay, if he's grieved away from your life. And then he says there's some stuff that we need to get rid of, get rid of all the, all the bitterness and stuff like this, get rid of bitterness, get rid of rage and anger and brawling. In other words, this need to be right, this need to win, this need to step on other people, you know, to fight to the death, to be right to slander, every form of malice and ill will. It's the need to get evil, even, and say hateful, mean things. He said, get rid of it. There's garbage that you've got to get rid of. 
Years ago, Lorg and I put an addition on our house in Markham. So, you know, putting it, as you know, there's always all this like construction garbage and stuff like this. So we had this massive pile of stuff out in our driveway, out in our front lawn. It was huge. Then we heard of this thing called Garbage Amnesty Day. Garbage Amnesty Day is basically, at least in the city of Markham, that if you pile it outside and if it's not toxic or anything like that, they will come and they will haul it away, like the whole thing. So when I left for work that morning, you know, we got like Mount Amnesty out there in our driveway with everything that you can possibly imagine. And I thought to myself, I wonder if it will be gone. I wonder if they'll actually take it. I wonder if they'll only take a few things off the top. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? So I drove home from work that night, and I'm telling you, it was gone. It was gone, 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 gone. It was amazing, you know. I cried tears of joy, you know, and, and laughed and sang songs of praise and wrote bad checks. No, I didn't actually do that. But, you know, it was, it was amazing to watch all that stuff go. So here's the deal. Why would you drag garbage around in your life? Because I'm telling you, there are people who've been dragging a bag of garbage for, behind them for years. You carry this around, it doesn't feel too bad now, but I'm telling you, you know, it, it will exhaust you. And then you attach a bunch of other bags to it. See, the problem with our garbage is that it's attracting flies and maggots and, and mice and rats and all this stuff, and it stinks. But we've spent so much time with it, we can't tell. We can't even smell it anymore. But I'm telling you, everybody else can. Paul says, you need to get rid of it. Like you need to put it out for garbage amnesty day and get rid of it. Because it's not doing any good in your basement or in your house. How many sunsets? How many sunsets? Like how far into your future are you going to drag your pain and drag your anger and drag your painful story about how you got wronged and you're going to sing your song and suck your thumb and about what happened to you? I'm not mocking that. I'm just saying how long are you going to drag this thing out? Final piece that Paul uses to finish off this magnificent passage is how to forgive. You can you can forgive but it's only when you choose to do it. Choose. You have to decide. There comes a point where you have to say, I've fed enough to the shark. I've fed enough to the animals. I've fed enough to the pain, uh, you know, in my life, and I'm not going to feed it anymore. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And listen to what it says here. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Kindness is a beautiful thing. Compassion is a beautiful thing. Forgiving each other is a beautiful thing. You know where kindness comes from? <laughs> well, the captain obvious moment here is that it doesn't come from the government of Canada. It doesn't come from the medical system. It doesn't come from the media. And it doesn't come naturally. It comes from the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to do that in my life, and he wants to do it in yours, but he cannot do it, you see, if, you know, the nasty, angry, unforgiving, bitter heart grieves him away and sends him running every time he wants to come and do something. And the sister virtue here is compassion. Compassion is what Jesus was talking about when he says, you know, talks about the separation of the sheep from the goats. You know, and he says, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. He said, I was naked, you clothed me. He said, I was sick and in prison, you came to visit me. 
That's what compassion is. And unforgiveness sabotages compassion. And then we're told how to forgive if that's not convicting enough. It's not this begrudging, you know, well, okay, I guess I can forgive you and stuff like this and let it go. But doggone it, I'm going to remind you of it every time I have. You come around me and you try to, you know, start doing something that looks like that again. I'm going to bring it out of the past and I'm going to club you to death with it. That's not how God forgives. That's not how God forgives. To forgive, let me just put this up here. That's the most godlike thing that you will ever do. It's the most godlike thing that you ever do. You want to please God? Do you want to be a relationally intelligent whole person? Do you want other people to really, really want to be with you? I was at a leadership conference and they were saying the sign of a good boss, a good boss is this, you know, he makes me really glad that I'm in the room with him. Sign of a bad boss is, you know, I'm really glad when he leaves the room or she leaves the room, okay? You want to show the world what God is like? what he's really like? You want to show him the compassion and the forgiveness and the grace of a God who would send his son to a cross? If you do, you're going to have to forgive. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, at some point in eternity past, God looked over the incredible mess that we would make of his world, that we would make of all creation, that we would make of our relational world, that we would make of our marriages and make of our friendships, that we would even then, you know, try to blame him for it. We would flip off his kindness and his generosity. And the trinity of goodness in eternity past said, I am going to choose to offer forgiveness to the whole lot of them. And I'm going to bring this whole broken mess together in such a way that it will actually be better after it's been broken by humans than it was before. Trinity agreed, let's do this. Son said, I'll go. I know it's going to cost me my life, but I'll go. Holy Spirit said, I will give people the power in their hearts to love and to be kind and to be good in your kingdom. And God agreed, and it was so. Years ago, my son Brian and I went on a camping trip up near North Bay, and gorgeous spot, you know, uh, it's a place, on, called, place called Lake Talon, you know, where the lake waters travel down to this point, and then they travel down over these chutes. It's actually a canoe, a canoe portage down into this big, deep pool uh, down at the bottom, which actually starts the Manawa River, which then flows into the Ottawa River. So it's a great place to fish. Caught some great fish there in that water. So anyways, on this particular trip, we had to park uh, the boat and camp in a place that I was not really all that familiar with, kind of a sh- little bit shallow bay and so on. So anyways, I put the anchor out the back of the boat to make sure it didn't drift out into the deeper water. So we, you know, camped out, you know, had breakfast and so uh, cleaned up everything and so on. And we're heading out to go do some trolling. So we're in the boat you know, started up the engine and so on, and, and I hit the throttle, and the engine roared to life, you know, and there's all this smoke and splashing, but the boat wasn't really moving forward. It was just kind of, you know, like, like this, you know. And I heard my son Brian say from the back of the boat, Dad, the anchor! And about that point, I saw the anchor up in midair behind the boat, okay? And it, was, and it was threatening to come down on the back of the boat. Scared us both to death. We could laugh about it now, you know, but honestly, it was a scary moment. 
Uh, here's my conclusion. If you have an anchor out the back of your boat or out the back of your life, and it's just dragging along the bottom, and you're chained to it, you're not going to be able to get much traction. And what will happen is with anchors, the way they work is that they will just collect more and more and more junk, and eventually they'll stop you in your tracks. And that's what happens when you don't forgive. Paul, in this passage that we studied, makes it clear that anger is so corrosive that if we don't deal with it in a timely way, it gives a foothold to the devil, and it creates a lot of unnecessary pain and damage. See if I can get back to the snake here, okay? I'm going to try and find the snake again just for your welfare. There we go, okay? The shark. There's the shark. And there's the pie chart. There we go. And here's the snake. Now, would any of you live in a house where you have a 21-foot python that comes up, you know, to get a midnight snack eating raccoons every night. Nobody in their right mind would do that. So why would you live with bitterness in your basement? Why would you live with unforgiveness in your heart? See, you may, and I'm going to do my best to get this through because I'm telling you, this is the hardest thing we do, getting the snake out of the basement, being willing to forgive someone who's hurt us. And the question I think God asked us, and the question I want to ask you is, do you want to be free? Because you won't be free unless you choose to forgive for your sake, for the sake of your future, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your relational world, and the people who have to work with you and live with you. Deal with it. Forgive. Let it go. If you want to be free, If you want to be free to be the person that God has called you to be and free to love and free to move on and free to be at peace and free to trust and free to be happy again, you have to decide that you've wasted enough time, that you've fed enough to the snake, you've fed enough to the shark, and you're moving forward. Will you do that? Will you do that? Will you decide to do that today? And and if if you're going to move forward, how many sunsets is it going to be? Like how long are you going to wait? best time is to make the decision and say, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it now. Jesus said that if we will not forgive, we will not be forgiven. I don't know what that means. Tell you what, though, makes me want to choose to forgive, and it is a decision. Choose to forgive. Amen. God, the pain of other people, you've given us a a brain that remembers everything, and it has too much memory in it for us to be able to delete, you know, all these memories of hurts that we've experienced and things that people have done, especially the really bad things that have happened. But you've called us to be free. And you know that we will not be free unless we pull the anchor, unless we clean out the basement, get rid of the garbage, and move on with our lives. Give us the conviction that that's the right direction to go. And please, Spirit of God, give us the power to actually do it. Amen.